Nothing is so fleeting as sporting achievement and nothing so lasting as the recollection of it. This is the Couch Talk Podcast. Welcome to Couch Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Subhash Jairaman. Joining me on this episode is Chris Green, uh, Ospinner for Guyana Men's and Warriors from New South Wales and all over the place. Uh, thanks for being on the show, Chris. How are you? No worries at all. Thanks for having me, and it's my pleasure to be here. We're in the beautiful Caribbean, so there are no complaints on my end. Fantastic. Uh, excellent sunny disposition. Um, you know, you're what, 26 now? Yes. Um, and you played upwards of 70 T20 matches. Uh, there was a time when people would aim to play for their uh, domestic side, state side, uh, province, province uh, etc. Um, but as that has shifted in cricket, where that does, that's not the only pathway to uh, success as a professional, how has that been for you? You know, you are that generation of player now. T20 only came into being when you were 12, 13. Yeah, you know, as you say, um, it's not the, the traditional path. For me, I was initially on that traditional path and then um, I guess more recently was told that, you know, there's no re- not really a place for me within the, the provincial setup. Um, they're they're, they're putting, pushing their case more on red ball cricket um, and seeing me more as a, a white ball player, um, which, you know, each their own, that's, that's their opinion and their call and... Um, fortunately for me, T20 cricket has presented an avenue where I can continue to, to pursue my dreams of being a professional and playing all over the world and, and ultimately trying to achieve my dream of, of playing for Australia one day. Um, so that's where, you know, the beauty of these competitions um, have arising, have, have put, put me in. Um, and then also, you know, it, it allows you to travel the world which I love doing, meet new people, which I love doing, and experience, you know, the different local cultures. And um, and I guess the, the biggest thing I've, I've been able to get from it is, you know, I've played cricket with and against some of my cricketing idols, mm-hmm. uh, which has been incredible. Um, those memories and experiences will live by me for the rest of my life. That's an interesting point. Um, I mean, it's always great to do whatever um, you know, people that you idolize uh, playing alongside rubbing shoulders with them. Yeah. But these idols, they would have grown up in an environment where, you know, it's red ball or nothing sort of thing. Yes. Whereas you come along, and your generation rather, I should say you, uh, generation, and because of the opportunities that are present, how do these pe- uh, other players that, uh, even one generation before you, uh, you know, I'm sure when you were part of uh, New South Wales, Ed Cowan was there, I think. Um, yes. And I have talked to Ed Cowan a few times before too. And he's a red ball specialist. Yeah. He's played, obviously, in Big Bash as well. The outlook on the sport themselves is very different. Uh, have you, how, how have you noticed, and I'm sure you've had discussions with these players too. Yeah, look, I, I think everyone's, everyone's views and opinions are always going to be very different. Uh, you know, the, the guys playing in, in these leagues and these tournaments, I've found personally have been incredibly open uh, into sharing their knowledge with me. Um, you know, the likes of Brendan McCullum, Kevin Peterson, Kumar Sangakara, Shane Watson, you know, to, to rub shoulders with some of the greats of the game, whether playing with them or sitting down at breakfast with them or sitting at the bar having a beer and just, you know, for me, just sitting there and not really saying much, but just absorbing in um, their knowledge base yeah. um, has been instrumental to, I guess, the, the growth in, in my own personal career, um, which, you know, that's, that's something you don't get it. 
um, domestic setups. You don't have the, the, the likes of those big players around constantly. It's more you rely on a different, I guess, growth from coaches or doing your own thing, if you like. Um, whereas here, it's you know really is a knowledge sharing base. Um, so to answer your question, it's it's hard to say. Obviously, people have their differing opinions on what's the best path for you. But at the end of the day, I think I, I truly believe you know you can only control a certain amount of things, and and you you don't really have control over your own destiny. You've just got to focus on your processes and, and, and what you do well and, and that then will give you every chance of being successful and then whatever path comes comes from opportunities that present, I guess. You mentioned about how growing up or playing cricket, uh, your idea of the pathway was through the state side, uh, New South Wales, right? Yes. Say somebody that is 10, 12 now, they don't even have to think that. No. Uh, right? Uh, no. They could... From the get-go, they could essentially focus on white ball cricket. You, yeah. know, you have T20, you have now the 100 coming, there are T10 leagues, whatever, right? And uh, and they all take different things from a player uh, to excel uh, and be paid for it, mm. uh, as they should. Um, so, where do you see... Uh, you know the cricket professionalism or professional cricket um, headed towards. Yeah, look, I think that's really exciting. You know, guys now growing up, I, I guess can can have a focus on going. I can, I want to play Test cricket for my country, mm-hmm. or you know, I, I want to play T Twenty cricket all around the world, and then play for my country, playing the IPL, playing all these big leagues, and and travel the world doing what I love um, or you know some guys will say I want to do everything so they have yeah. to go that traditional path um, and I, th- I think that's so exciting and so good for the game of cricket to, to really broaden the spectrum of professionalism like that you have guys specializing and you know and when it when it's completely embraced and I think there's a lot of friction into embracing that change at the moment because our game is very traditional of course uh, and and look I'm not saying it, it, it it's wrong um but I think once it's completely embraced, I think it's going to be really exciting. You know, you have guys going to be developing in different ways um, under different environments and, and then potentially coming together for a common cause, whether it be for their country, for a tournament or for their state. I think that, you know, that will really lift the game of cricket uh, and the standard of cricket um, and standard of play. And we've already seen that if you just follow the scores yeah. um, in time, it's starting to happen. T20 cricket has lifted the run rate in other formats, um, purely because guys are exploring new avenues um, to their batting. I think, as I said, I just think it's it's really exciting, exciting to see. Let's uh, talk about your um, experiences as a player and uh, you know, performances as a player. First, um, you know, you're playing, obviously, in the Big Bash. You're playing in the Caribbean Premier League now. Uh, you've played PSL, Vitality, Blast. Uh, so... Based on those experiences, do you see kind of similar patterns of approaching a T20 match or is it there are, you know, if T20s play slightly different in the Caribbean versus, you know, in Big Bash versus in England, so on and so forth? I, I think there, you know, there, there are certainly some similarities to it, but um, culturally there's a lot of differences, which I think... Um, for me personally, it's awesome because you get to learn different methods and, and that's all it is. You know, you've got to constantly tweak your game here and there and apply, you know, different successful methods that, um, 
you know, you never know. So for me, yeah, playing, could you give an example of those tiny little things? Well, I, I think it's about learning. You know, I, I spent time in in the UK um, recently with Birmingham in the Blast, and um, one thing I picked up there was, and it was a very young team, and um, you know, I think at times it was interesting just sitting back and observing how they ran it because there's a lot of you know talking about how they want to go about it you know because there is there is there wasn't a lot of experience within the group mm-hmm. and it was interesting reflecting on that experience i'm going do you you know how much do you instruct youth or how much do you back exuberance of youth and just let them go out and you know use their natural flair so i think that was a really cool experience um to sort of be a part of try and um uh, impact or like pass on my own knowledge and experience which is you know it, it is it is decent but it's not vast I'm still very young but I've played a lot of games so that was a really cool experience seeing how they sort of they didn't have a great season on, on paper and, and finishing where they wanted to but I think they, they made good inroads and good learnings along the way on on like sort of molding their methods to, to find the best way um, whereas here you know it's 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 a very much go out and, and back yourself and, and play your way. Um, we're going to prepare really well, train hard, um, but then come game day, it's it's about backing your natural flair and you know putting on a show for the people coming to watch, which is kind of cool. You know, you you put in all the hard work, then come game day, you play easy. So it's train hard, play easy, which has been one of my mantras um, personally growing up is train train hard and, and then play easy. So you've you've prepared and ready to go and. You know, you've done everything you can. You can go out there and enjoy yourself. On the uh, playing side of things, uh, you know, you're an Aussie that bowls uh, quite a bit in the power plays, yeah. um, and also the middle overs. Um, so, are there things that you employ on your based on your own skills and others, and also were there off spinners um, <coughs> that you've watched closely? Obviously, the game has had including your current coach, uh, Johan Gota, that have excelled in this format. So are there things that you take from, you know, Sunil Narayan or Ravi Ashwin or, or uh, Bota or whoever else that uh, you try to incorporate into your game or it's your game is stands on its own? Yeah, look, I think being an off-spinner presents a number of challenges just due to the, the perception, I guess, majority of right-handed batters have of off-spinners, particularly in the short format. As yes. you know, there's, they pose no threat to me unless the ball's spinning the other way um, or the wicket's conducive to spin, um, particularly in Australia where there's not yes. a lot of spin. That's where finger spinners um, go to die. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think obviously starting in those conditions where, you know, there's not a lot favoring me that you have to have subtle variations. And um, as I said earlier, you know, the, the beauty for me with these leagues is I've, I've had the opportunity to, to play alongside Sun on the Rhine and in the PSL and, you know, I didn't play a game for my first two years there, but I, I shadowed him in the nets and mm. um, literally lived in his pocket and learnt a, a ball. I remember telling someone the other day this story because they were asking me about my, my variations. And so I, I learned a carom ball mm-hmm. um, that I then took back to Australia with me, uh, was bowling it at the, in the nets to Shane Watson, all the big bats trying to get a game ready. And eventually he asked me, he said, have you, have you used this yet? And I said, no. And he said, well, I think it's time. I used it the next game and got Kevin Peterson out with it. So it was, you know, for me, again, the doing what I do currently and, and being a part of these leagues, I wouldn't have been able to 
develop that ball in the way I did under pressure and then to be able to execute. Obviously, everything fell into place for me and it's an example of timing being the right place. It worked. Sure. But, um, you know, I think that's a real justification of what I've done, what I've learned and then putting it into practice. So that was really cool. And then, you know, Johan has been, you know, very helpful to me in my cricket, obviously playing against him a lot. He saw what I was able to do in the Big Bash and then he gave me my first opportunity here last year which allowed me to, I guess, showcase my skills on a, on a big stage in front of everyone and, and arguably that's led to, to my success around the world the last 12 months. So working closely with him, he's helped me now get the confidence to bowl over the wicket and then I've gone away and worked on, on that stuff so I opened up. I guess a, a whole new part of my game where I'm not only a one-trick pony from around the wicket where I bowled, you know, probably bowled 50, in 50 games, bowled every ball around the wicket. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, in my last 20 games, I've been able to bowl more over the wicket, which has been really cool. And it's an interesting thing to be sort of an understudy, shadow someone like uh, Sunil Narayan. So obviously you mentioned the, about the cannonball. That's a very specific skill yeah. uh, that you picked up. But what aspects of bowling itself, you know, that... You know, what is his thought processes? Like, how, like, do you, did you get an opportunity to discuss those sort of things too with him? Yes, yes. So I think chatting with Johan, for example, he's, he, he's very much a defensive off spin bowler, if you, mm-hmm. particularly in short format. And, and I mean, it's not a talking negatively of him. I yeah. think he was very great in knowing his role and going, you know what, I'm going to bowl today, I'm going to go for six and over, and I'm going to, if I take a wicket, great. But if I go for 24 runs or less, mm-hmm. Then, or even seven and over. Then, particularly in Australia, you then it's like, wow, he's got away with with murder in Australian <laughs> terms because yeah. he's an off spinner. Um, but he's played his role to what the team requires him, and he was very good at you know getting dangerous dangerous players off strike and bowling at his matchup. Or you know, there's two dangerous players and you know constantly getting them up the different end so they never have continuous balls to line him up. So that's been really cool because a lot of that is obviously relevant to a role I play in Australia and mm-hmm. you know then chatting with Sonny about becoming a wicket taking option um, and, and how he goes about it in, in really pe- trying to peg a batsman down and, and build the pressure there so eventually it's like a ticking time bomb and there's this like rash explosion shot which leads to him taking wickets and okay. he, um, so it was interesting chatting to him about trying to build that pressure um, and not releasing it uh, and he's you know, I think he's really classed at it. He's obviously got that ability where guys can't pick him. I'm a little bit more traditional where it's there's only very subtle variations. Um, but, you know, comparing the two and taking... I think what's key and, and what I've always liked to do is take little bits from little players and remember that what you do is what is is best and you've got to stay authentic to you. But if you can add a little 1%, 2%, 3% here to your game from what other players do well, then I think you're going to be in a really good, exciting place. You mentioned something very interesting, and uh, this came up in a discussion with uh, Johan as well. Um, he said about how, you know, you bowl a couple of dot balls or simply dot balls, and you don't get too greedy. You turn the batsman over by giving a single, yeah. so they don't like, and you mentioned that too, you know, you don't yeah. give them enough time to line you up. And as you say, as you now start bowling over the wicket and, you know, you're a wicket-taking threat, how do you marry um, the defensive mindset with the aggressive mindset of taking wickets? Yeah, definitely. And I think you've hit the nail on the head. You're never going to get it right all the time because you can get excited when you're bowling really well and you, you lose track and lose touch of what the batter's doing. You know, you could be 
thinking, wow, I'm all over him here. Meanwhile, he's just actually taking a few ciders and then he's about to launch you out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be the moment. So I think, you know, for me, I, I always want to try and trust my gut instincts. Um, and as you see, before every ball, I take a moment and do that big deep breath. And that's just me, my, my method to my madness of, of clearing out all the, you know, the distractions around me and being able to focus in on what I need to do right now and, and then try and remain in touch with you know, what I think the batter's trying to do. Is he trying to line me up? Is he struggling? You know, is he trying to get off strike? Um, where's, where's his scoring zones? And then as a result, okay, what ball do I want to bowl? What ball do I, where do I want to pitch it? How do I want to release it? Do, should I be bowling around the wicket? Should I be bowling? And then, you know, there's a long conversation yeah. I've had with you now, but in the heat of the moment, that's happening, you know, in that breath yes. going, okay, I'm ready. Um, yeah. It's sort of like a becomes like a you know the more you think about it, it kind of becomes second nature. And, yeah, you know, it comes with experience and you no, know, so you know sometimes failing yes. uh, a lot more than succeeding yeah. tells you what not to do. You mentioned a few things. Are you also looking at you know is he playing from the crease, coming out of the crease, going deep into the crease? Is he lining up off stump, leg stump? Like you know, so I'm just trying to understand the various parameters that. You've, your brain takes in yeah. before you decide, okay, this is what I'm going to call this delivery. Yeah, it's, it's all those variables. I guess you, you know, for me, I'm at the top of the mark and I'm eyeing up, eyeing up the batter going, all right, he's lining up there. You know, I've obviously done a bit of pre-match research on, on who he is and how he plays or I have a decent enough understanding of as where his strength zones are. So it's, you know, what's happened. There's a little bit of what's happened what's required so obviously when they're chasing it's a little bit more obvious when they're setting it's like okay you know is he look is he on edge has he been hitting the ball cleanly he's struggling a bit okay do i need to try and keep him there for one extra ball or do i need to get him off strike is he you know as you say is he on off stuff is he showing me all the stuff so what do you what does he want um what do i think he wants what do i think he doesn't want um and then as a result it's okay i think it's always important to then come back okay well what do I do? What do I do well? Mm-hmm. And what have I got in my arsenal? Um, and rather than focusing on too much on the batter and too much on that, is okay, well, what's the best ball for me right now? Um, and almost asking that question, you're answering everything that you feel is, is happening down the other end because you can't control what's happening down the other end at yeah. the end of the day. All you can control is what you're doing and it's it's actually in your, your mental state. So if you put yourself in... In, in that position and, and you get that aspect of clarity at the top of your mark and you commit to it you're for me that's that's you know my process of going you know I'm allowing myself every chance here of being successful and as soon as I let go of the ball mm-hmm. control's gone yes I have no aspect of control so yeah. it's it's a tough thing to to come to terms with and but in recently I've been able to gauge more of that and then you know once once you release it and it goes to four or six or a dot is okay did I execute what I thought I was trying to do yeah. yes or no that's that's the end of it regardless of what happens or the result you know it could be a wicket but it's I bowled a ball that was halfway down the guy like towed it back to me and I got caught and bowled did I execute no I got lucky and then it's like okay I bowled exactly what I wanted to do he took it on and he got lucky so and then it's like what do I want to do now you bring up a phenomenally interesting point, which is, you know, let's say you take red ball cricket. There is a understanding, there is almost a definition of what a good ball is. Top of off, hit top of off, you know, especially as a seamer or the channel. 
and you can say that, you know, oh, that was a good delivery, excellent shot. That's what's said on commentary, mm. right? Whereas in comes to T20, um, the understanding of the game and the thought processes of the players is not that well explained. Mm. Hasn't been explained well enough yet, mm. anyway. Uh, it's not out in the public domain for people to learn. Yeah. Um, so, can you say what a good ball is in T20, when you bowl a good ball, um, without uh, regard to the outcome? Um, is it possible? Interesting. Um, I th- uh, yes, I, I do think you can. Like, you know, for, here, for example, for fast bowlers, um, I really feel like if you hold your length for longer, and, and what I mean there is that, and the length here is sort of top of the stumps, maybe just above the stumps, because it's so, it, it, into the wicket can be so inconsistent, but, you know, for Caribbean players, as soon as you get sort of between waist and shoulders, yeah. if you get too short, that ball's travelling so far because the guys are so powerful there. So it's, yeah. if you miss your bump bouncer, below the shoulders you're in trouble the bounce has got to be sort of right at the head um, and then similarly if you go too full and it's not a Yorker or it's not that length the ball's travelling um, so if you get hit off that length and it's the right and you keep trusting it eventually I think you can be successful um, obviously if the wicket's playing well you've got to be a bit smarter and you then have to go to your typical death bowling you know your slower balls Bowling wide Yorkers, straight Yorkers, etc. Um, but there, I definitely think there's a, a case of saying, you know, that is a good ball. And, and for spinners, same. I think you've got to be looking to hit the stumps here for as long as possible. Um, and and obviously, if it's the right length, not step hit length, and not that just short, because the, the margins are obviously smaller in, in T20 cricket. But if you're getting hit off those spots, I definitely think there's a case there as, as well, you know. I interviewed Ravi Ashwin a um, few years ago and I asked him a very similar question. Is what is a good ball in T20? He said, I don't know, maybe six short balls that don't go for runs. <laughs> you know, short, bad balls that yeah. go for runs. Maybe those are yeah. those are the best deliveries. Yeah, uh, there is an aspect of, you know, I certainly use it, use it in my own game of bowling ugly. Hmm. Um, and I think that's... That's the nature of it because it, batters do it as well. It's batting ugly and, and getting ugly runs, that, but it's, it gets your team in the right position. And if you bowl ugly, and, and I think that's probably the way to describe my role and, and similar to Johan's role as well, bowling ugly and you know being happy to go none for 22 or 4 or none for 18 or 4 and go, right, I've just killed four, out, four overs out of the game for 18 runs. You've now got 16 overs to try and get to a par score mm-hmm. um, because you're below par in my overs. I mean, these days you have so much uh, video analysis and data uh, available, right? Um, do you uh, sit down with, let's say you bowl 24 deliveries in a match, and do you sit down with each delivery, this is what I wanted to do in this delivery, do you review that every game? Not every game. Um, at, at different stages, you know, I've got an ability where I can, I can play back in my mind almost hmm. every ball. Um, that I bowled and, and I was talking to Johan about it in the last game, um, my third over, which got hit in the power play. I bowled two, two overs really well, none for eight. And then my, yeah. my third over went for 18 where Hales took me on. And, um, you know, it was, I, I probably, you know, for the first two boundaries he hit after the first ball, I let um, the fact that he got an easy two to long on cloud a little bit of my clarity. And that, that aspect of frustration came in and that was just all it was. It wasn't mm-hmm. about me actually... What I executed and bowled was exactly what I wanted to bowl, but 
I didn't have that the same clarity that I did on those two deliveries that I did in my first gotcha. 13 deliveries. Um, and that's what I mean about clearing out those distractions mm. and being allowed to yourself to, to back that sixth sense and focus in on, as I said, what's required of me right now. Whereas I had what's required of me right now, he shouldn't be on strike because Long On was sleeping. And I'm not like having a go at my teammate, but that's just yeah. coming into, yeah. my, into my back of my head going, Oh, it'd be so nice if I was bowling at the new batsman here. Right. Um, because then there's ability to, you bowl less balls at Hales, who's the set dangerous batsman, and you bowl more balls at Shaqib Al-Hassan, who's a left-hander. Mm. It's a better matchup for me. Um, so that was an interesting thing. And, you know, you always have those reminders. And T20 cricket, it almost accentuates it because the game bites you in the ass like it did for me, and I went for 18 off my over. Yeah. Um, so it was a very quick learning. Um, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, you know, I did some numbers, um, you know, broke it down by uh, your power plays, bowling first, bowling second, yeah. uh, death overs, bowling first, bowling second, and middle overs. Same. Uh, and your economy rate is the best uh, when you're bowling second. Um, okay. When team has a target in mind, it's kind of like what you know. Virat Kohli says, you know, he's a master of the chase because um, he knows he has a target in front of him, yeah. so he knows how to break in every single thing down to every delivery. Is that how it is for you too? I think so. Um, you know, you've obviously got the the required run rate at the back of your head, and, and going, all right, how can I build pressure? What's required of me? Is it right on the rate? You know, and but then it's also I think using using everything you have to your advantage. And is it a, if it's a low total that you're defending, it's not being too aggressive and going away from what you do. It's going right. If I bowl two or three dots here, particularly as a spin bowler, knowing that okay the batsman's going to come or has to come to try and get a run, okay then I can go right. I'll get him off strike now, and then it'll, and then it's like okay I'm going to get him off strike again, and get him off strike again, and then I'm out. I bowled one over three runs, and that's well under the rate that they're required. Um, so I definitely think the ability to break it down and know, you almost know the opposition's game plan because it's, gotcha. it's there in front of you. Whereas, you know, first innings, there is, there is an aspect of both teams sort of feeling, feeling out what's required. Um, sometimes it works to your advantage in the power play. Obviously, because they're like, oh, this is a tough, toughish wicket, or it's not quite coming on for me today. Or they're like, you know, this is a great wicket, and they're going to explode and, and go hard at you. Um, and you've got to sort of try and deal with that as best as you can. Um, so it's an interesting um, inner battle. Um, but, yeah, to definitely answer your question, it's, it's having that awareness of, of what's required, what you, you sense it sort of, and know the opposition mm-hmm. is trying to do. Yeah in a second innings scenario is is, is a bit, little bit easier. Um, you know, there, there was um, misconception that uh, spinners would not really have a role in T20s. But now, in the most dangerous phase of the game, with only two fielders out, you see a lot of spinners bowling. Wrist spinners, finger spinners, you know, including yourself. Um, so, what is the mindset? of a spinner uh, when you know you have only two fielders out. Uh, you know, because there's also the other data that says, hey, if you take early wickets, you know, three or more wickets in the power play, then the batting team is pretty much done, cooked. Um, so how do you manage those things? You know, you can get wickets and restrict them, or at the same time you can't give away too many runs. Yeah. Like, so what is the mindset as a spinner? 
Look, I, th- I think firstly, um, for me, it's embracing the challenge um, and just going that, you know what, it's not thinking too hard about, oh, I've only got two fielders out here, whatever hits me here, it's it's more going, okay, how can I embrace this challenge and, and get what's required of me to do for the team? Um, and then it's going, okay, well, how, how can I give myself the chance of being successful? What What's my role here? Hmm. In this ball, in this ball, in this ball. So when you say roll, as in like take a wicket or limit the runs or no runs or whatever. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, and you know, I think that's the comparison. And, and I think, look, even in the power play, if, if you're limiting runs, you're looking to take wickets because gotcha. eventually the batsman has to go. You know what? We're going at four and over here. We can't be 24 runs off six overs, um, or we can't be 30 runs off six overs because then we're so far behind the eight ball. And that presents a case of, of taking wickets. So if you can build pressure, build pressure, build pressure, I definitely think there's eventually that, you know, the bubble's going to eventually grow and grow and then burst and there's a rash shot and it either goes from four or six or it's out. Um, and I think that's the beauty of it. Um, and that's why I enjoy bowling up front is, you know, you, I embrace, I love in, embracing that challenge and getting in the battle and the contest with, with the batters and, and then trying to build that pressure and, and it, whether it's bowling in partnership at the other end with Tahir, who's a more wicket-taking option than myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not trying to outdo him. Uh, and I think that's been what's worked well for us this tournament is we've bowled really well in partnerships. When he's gone for runs, I've been able to contain it. Or when I've gone for runs, he's been able to contain it at the other end. And that's, I think, something that's really important is, is bowling for your team and going, OK, well, that last over was quite big. I've got to try and make this one small so it's not a back-to-back over, which then gives that other team the momentum in the game. Is there a dramatic shift in your mental approach and what, or the choice of deliveries and the lines that you choose and the lengths that you choose uh, from a power play to middle over to the, you know, you're bold, you're bold in the end yeah. to death too. Yeah. Um, how does that uh, change over the course of uh, 120 deliveries? Look, I don't think the, the mental side changes too much. As I said, I always look to try and get in the battle. Uh, I don't know if other sp- spinners are different, but I think, you know, majority of spinners enjoy that contest because, you know, we don't have 140-kilometer delivery or 150-kilometer delivery that we can look to, you know, use fear mm-hmm. to, to upset a batsman. We've got, you know, a little bit more of craft and... Um, change of pace and change of delivery to try and make it as difficult as possible for them and bamboozle them if you like mm-hmm. um, so that's what we look to try and do and then I don't yeah I, I don't find for me personally there's a, a obvious mental change into bowling early middle or end it, it again comes down to for me that question is what is required of me right now what is the situation of the game what okay. is required of me right now and, and why that works really well for me is it, it keeps me really present. It's not thinking about, you know, like I said to you the other night, I bowled two really good overs, one over that got hit, and then I have to bowl a fourth over. And if I'm bowling that fourth over going, well, the last over went for 18, this over has to go for like four. Uh, I'm bringing in baggage, mental baggage, and I'm not going to be able to have that clarity to execute what I'm trying to execute. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden that over goes for 20, and I'm giving the opposition the upper hand and going, right, I've gone 40 off two overs. And it's forgotten that I bowled two overs for nothing in the power play yeah. at two good players. And, I've, you know, it's it's how you finish as well as how you start or it's how you start as well as how you finish. Sure. Um, so it's it's very much, I think, important to, you know, not carry any baggage or 
sure, bring confidence if you bowl an over last one, but you don't want to go searching or, or shopping, as I call it, for, for wickets or, or something unnecessary that isn't what you do best. Okay. Um, so, I mean, uh, in a scenario where, let's say, you're in the middle of a chase and you're defending the target um, and the team is reasonably positioned, they have some, you know, they have four, five, six wickets in hand, so you come on in the ninth over, tenth over, and you need to take wicket. Does the type of deliveries that you bowl at the time different from if uh, they were well behind the uh, run rate? Um, because both of them could give, lead to wickets. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's dependent on who the batters are, and then you know it could be something about bowling exactly the same way, but bringing a fielder up or moving a fielder and going, okay, I know this batsman doesn't sweep, so I'm going to leave maybe a big gap for him on square leg, bring square leg up into a run-saving position or somewhere in front of the eye line or mm. somewhere completely rogue um, to try and get him to play a way that he usually doesn't or take a risk that he may not normally would. And I think that's something that you know we saw Brendan McCullum do a lot as a captain and, yeah. and he was very good at it and was able to you know get a lot of captain wickets um, and it's something that probably goes unsaid a lot of the time is his ability to get in a batter's head as a captain and go the batter's thinking you know why is that fielder there what's he seen what's he seen in my game or who does he think he is not having a square leg back I'm going to show him yeah. and then all of a sudden as I said you, you've got that aspect or that um, you know in the back of the batter's head distraction in the bat, back of the batter's head and he's not thinking as clear as he would be yeah. and then all of a sudden without knowing you've got the upper hand and his chance of making a mistake is far greater sure uh, and that presents a wicket taking opportunity and that's something that I think I've, I've learned quickly in T20 cricket if you bowl a different way you can get hurt if you bowl your way and make <laughs> little subtle changes you can be very successful as you play in many competitions around the world the conditions change you know some you may have slow and low wickets some you may have fast bouncy wickets some may have assistance for spin some may not um, how do how does your game change how do you adapt to these changing uh, conditions and um, try to do the best that you can for your team yeah I think that's obviously important to, to make note of is, is going, you know, what are the conditions, what what favours me, what doesn't favour me, and then it's asking, you know, that same same question, those same similar questions to yourself each time and going, okay, well, what does this wicket do? It's quick. It's a quick summation of the conditions and going, well, you know, what's, what's good here? And especially if you're, you're bowling second, it's asking the batters that have batted, you know, what was tough out there when you were facing spin? Was it spinning? Was it holding in the wicket? Was it slow? Was it coming on nice? Um, and then you go, okay, well, I know in those conditions, when I bowl like this, this is more successful. When I bowl like this, this is more successful. Um, and, and making a quick adaptation to, to different circumstances. And you go, okay, well, do I need to bring my length back? Do I need to bring my length forward? Mm. Do I need to bowl a little bit quicker? Do I need to bowl more into the wicket? Um, do I need to try and spin the ball? Do I need to try and slide the ball on? Um, do I need to bowl a very defensive because, you know, this wicket could be unbelievable and it's a 200-plus 200, 200 wicket. Um, and I then need to go, well, I'm happy to go at 24 and I'm going to try and bowl balls that go for single every ball. Um, and, and you almost take wickets out of it and knowing, as I said earlier, is if you take wickets out of it in that way, 
you're actually bringing wickets into it because by going at six and over, the rate's pushing up. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, in all honesty, that's why spinners have been more successful is there's still that perception. I think it's a human perception if you ask any batter in the world or any cricketer in the world is, would you rather face a spinner or a pacer? Most people are going to say spin because, you know, there's no threat to my human well-being. But conditions, yeah, as I said, it's it's a quick, you've got to be very quick and like sum up what's required of you mm-hmm. um, and and trust that, again, what you do is the best thing to do right then. Finally, as traveling professional cricketer, you get to learn because you get to play different conditions, different players, different leagues, so you get to learn a lot too. And people are learning a lot about you too. They're trying to, they're seeing your game in many different conditions against many different oppositions. So they're learning about you as well. Yeah. And also, uh, that's on the professional side. Second, obviously you're traveling, you're away from your home base. So it takes a toll on a personal side of things too. So what are those challenges, both professionally as well as personally? Yeah, professionally, uh, it obviously more and more people see what you do. You've bowled at more and more people. So there's that, you lose that aspect of surprise a little bit. Um, but you know, I quite, I quite enjoy it because, you know, when people are planning for you and they're, they're thinking about what you do, you can almost, you can, it's almost like the old one, two trick with the boxes. You know, I could have a really good left jab or, mm-hmm. or right hook and they're looking for that right hook and you keep hitting them with the left jab or <laughs> you may show them all your cards or playing, you know, open, open poker. Um, and it's a little, it's a little bit like that going, right, I'm, I'm either going to bowl exactly what you planned for or I'm going to. You're sitting on, you know, you could be sitting on one type of delivery and I don't bowl you that delivery at all. And all of a sudden I've got away with bowling two or three balls. Then I bowl you that delivery and all of a sudden you're off strike standing next to me and you're like, well, what just happened? So uh, it's, I, that's, I think that's the, the beauty that I like of the game of, you know, you could bowl exactly how you meant to, you could bowl slightly different. Um, and it's, there's little intricacies and, and little contests within yourself and with the opposition and and that's how you play it some days they work some days they don't work some work, days they work okay um and some days you're really successful with it um and i think that's that's why i love it and it's it's never the same you know i could bowl exactly the same way for the 12 games that we're going to play here and all of my results are going to be so different Mm. Um, and you, you, you've got to make little changes here and there. You know, you could bowl one way in game one and you don't bowl the same way until the final or until game seven because mm-hmm. either, whether it be conditioned, batters, whatever, you've got to constantly make those changes. Um, so I think, you know, those are the challenges that make you grow as a professional, um, that make you, you know, put your case forward to play at the highest level if you continue to come on top more often than you don't in those little battles Mm -hmm. then you're obviously presenting more cases for yourself to be successful Um, and then personally you know as much as I love traveling the world and and I'm you know I'm doing what I love it's a very uh, from the outside in it looks very glorious but at times it's very tough Um, there's a lot of hotel time Um, you know it, it is work at the end of the day not that I see it as work it's it's my passion so I love it um, mm-hmm. don't get me wrong but you know you're away from friends and family I've, I've been home now since I left in July so I've been away for wow. three or four months um, but I've been to Canada I've been to England I've been all around the Caribbean so when you say that people go oh life isn't bad but <laughs> you know it's not as glorious as it's made out to be so it definitely presents challenge but 
I love cricket. So it's it's the day. It's a, funnily enough, it's actually the days off that are the hardest days. The cricket days are the easiest days because you know today I've got training to look forward to. Um, tomorrow we've got a day off. Um, so I'm playing golf with Brian Lara, but that's quite kind of glorious. Um, but yesterday we had a day off, and I was finding ways to kill time. Mm. Um, Friday we've got training. I've got that to look forward to. So cricket makes it easier. The days off are tough, um, particularly if you can't get out and about or you're restricted to get out and, out and about as much. But, you know, I, I love um, getting to know my teammates, getting to know, you know, what different countries are like and, and trying to be a little bit of a tourist at, at the same time, which certainly helps create long-lasting memories and experiences. And I think you get to, you know, you never know if this is my last time in Trinidad or in the Caribbean, for example. So I think you've got to try and soak up and get out and experience it and, and try and get out of your bubble a little bit. And that's what... I try and do and it fine helps me. Um, you mentioned about the highest level. So depending on who you ask, that could be you know playing in one of the biggest T20 leagues or playing for your country in a T20 World Cup or ODI World Cup or whatever, right? So is Australia still in your plans? Absolutely. It's my dream. Yeah, it's my ultimate dream to, to represent Australia one day. Um, I'd love to do it, you know. The path I'm on obviously presents the more likely case for it to happen in T21 first before it happens in test cricket but I think once once you get in there you never know what happens and I think David Warner probably opened up that avenue for for cricketers around the world mm-hmm. uh, and as we've seen you know in, a couple of Indian cricketers do the same thing I think yep. Hardik Pandya did that started in T20s and is now playing has played some test cricket um, you'd say he's more suited to the short format but he's been a very successful test cricketer as yep. well um so I think once you're in there, you never know. But yeah, it's it's certainly be a dream dream of mine and dream come true if that opportunity arises. On that note, Chris, thank you <laughs> yeah. so much. No worries. It was a pleasure talking to you, man. Likewise, thank you. Thanks. Thanks.